Okay, we're on the air, and I get to welcome you at this point to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM and Spotify and some of the other platforms that we are currently broadcasting on. And uh, it is great to have you tune in. As you know, Sunshine USA is a program on internet radio devoted to uh, helping Christians learn more about the Bible, the Word of God, and also dedicated for the purpose of reaching men and women, boys and girls, teenagers and young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm Warren Landis, the host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And so it's uh, great to welcome you to the program uh, this evening. Now, I'm doing this program at 8 p.m. live on... Um, Sunshine USA, and uh, I should say 8 p.m. live on a Wednesday evening. Uh, Many of you, most of you, will probably listen to this later uh, in the days and weeks to come. But we're in the book of Mark right now. More specifically, we're in chapter 10, and in just a few moments, we'll begin reading with verse 35. Now, Uh, I came across some information uh, just in the last couple of days, which is a little bit discouraging for me. Uh, I find that something like 20% of the people who have quit coming to church during this pandemic are people that will probably not return to the the, uh, church when the pandemic is over. That's kind of sad. Uh, We also know that some churches are hurting uh, financially as a result of this pandemic. Uh, Some churches are having to consider budget cuts as they uh, deal with this pandemic. And some of those budget cuts will include staff layoffs. And that's always hard to hear about. And then I heard another thing that is very interesting. Uh, We have a local Christian radio station here in Greenville, South Carolina, that uh, has a habit of broadcasting news and information about revivals in the upstate. And here lately, they haven't had too many revivals to talk about because uh, many revival meetings, both last year and so far again this year, have been canceled. And this is uh, really sad. Uh, I tell you, in my lifetime, I can remember quite a few church revivals where the Holy Spirit just got loose and people started getting saved and Christian people started getting right with the Lord, and and it was just a tremendous thing. But we don't see too many revivals anymore. And now some of the few churches that were still having them have had to cancel due to COVID-19. So we want to pray that the Lord will send revival in our country and that churches, uh, whenever they can, will get back into the habit of scheduling revivals. I know this has been hard on vocational evangelists who make their living preaching revivals uh, across America. This has been very hard on them. Many of them have had to take on uh, part-time secular jobs in order to support themselves until the pandemic eases up enough so that revivals can be rescheduled. So we need to pray for those that are in vocational evangelism that 
the revival circuit, so to speak, will pick up again uh, in the relatively near future. But, you know, God is going to keep his hand on the church. The church will ultimately survive and thrive because Jesus promises us in his word that the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know, <laughs> the church is going to be triumphant. Now, one thing I said on one of my Sunshine USA broadcasts that I recorded this morning, I pointed out that you need to let your pastor know how much you appreciate him during this uh, pandemic. Uh, this has been a very hard year for pastors. And most pastors will tell you, uh, prior to this past year, they had no experience pastoring a church in a pandemic. And they have had to do a lot of on-the-job learning and training uh, real fast in the past year. And so I hope, I pray that you will make it a point to... Um, let your pastor know that you truly appreciate their service, that you truly appreciate uh, the different ways they've tried to keep the church going during this pandemic. Okay, right now we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then after we pray, we'll go ahead and uh, get started uh, with tonight's Bible study. Dear Lord, I just want to pray right now that you will be with me. As I teach from your word, Lord, I pray that you will help me to say everything you want me to say. Lord, put a guard at my mouth. Don't let me say anything you don't want me to say and help me to say everything you want me to say. And Lord, I also want to pray for the pastors out there. The pastors who are doing such a wonderful, marvelous job. Keeping uh, churches going, finding creative and innovative ways in which to communicate the gospel, as well as to teach the Bible to their congregations. And Lord, we want to pray that you will be with churches that are hurting during this pandemic, Lord. We pray that you'll take care of their financial need. And Lord, we pray that you'll help relieve some of the stress that many of our pastors are feeling just now. And Lord, once again, we just want to thank you and praise you for all that we know you're going to do through this program this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, and in just a few moments we'll begin with verse 35. You know, uh, the Gospels is a very important part of our New Testaments because we get to learn a lot about Jesus. And it seems that each of the four gospel writers made a very important contribution to the gospels overall. For example, we find that Mark, uh, the gospel writer that we're currently studying, uh, one of his areas of interest was writing about the big things that Jesus did. When we get into Luke, we will see that Luke, paid attention to detail. I mean, this came natural to him because, after all, by trade, he was a medical doctor. And so it was his job to pay attention to details. And then you have Matthew. Vocationally speaking, he was a tax collector. And it seems that um, Matthew was more interested in what Jesus had to say. <laughs> And so you have three gospel writers right there which made their own impact 
on the telling of the story of Jesus. And then you come to the Gospel of John. And of course, we, we find things in the Gospel of John that you won't find in the other Gospels. Uh, we learn things theologically about God himself in the Gospel of John. And so uh, the New Testament is certainly a valuable part of the, New uh, of the Word of God. And it's certainly not a waste of time to study the New Testament. Now, what my current plans are overall is, number one, for us to go ahead and finish the Gospel of Mark. Now, that's still going to be a ways away. I don't want you to think that tomorrow or the next day we're going to finish Mark. We've still got probably a few more weeks, at least, in the Gospel of Mark. And then we're going to zero in on the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And I haven't decided where we'll go from there, but I'm just letting you know what some of my more immediate plans are for Bible study here on this program, Sunshine USA. Now, we have what I call the Blog Talk Radio Edition of Sunshine USA. That was the one I recorded this morning. And right now, we are in that edition of Sunshine USA, we are going through the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. And there we're doing a systematic Bible study, starting with the book of Genesis, which we started some time ago, and going all the way to the last chapter in Revelation. Now, as you can understand, that is quite an undertaking, but we're doing it on what I call the Blog Talk Radio Edition of Sunshine USA. Um, but now, getting back to our uh, Anchor FM edition of Sunshine USA, where we're studying the Gospel of Mark, I want us to pick up with verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they, told, they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said unto them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But he says, as far as who's going to sit on my right hand and left hand, it is not mine to give. In other words, he's saying, it's not my decision to make, but it is for those whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now, <laughs> I can imagine why the disciples were a little bit displeased with James and John. I mean, here they are <laughs> wanting the honor of sitting on the right and left hand of Jesus. Well, when you think about it, that was probably uh, both a selfish request, and I imagine there was a lot of pride in that request as well. 
and it didn't go over well with the other ten. Now, of course, Jesus very diplomatically points out to them, you don't realize what you're asking. First of all, he, he points out that there's a certain cost to following him. You know, it's easy to become a Christian. It's not easy to be a Christian. I've said that in my ministry many times. Let me say that again. It's easy to become a Christian. It's not so easy to be a Christian. You know, when you get saved, all you need to do is to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, forgive you for sin, and he'll take up residence in your heart. But then comes, you see, the hard part. And the hard part is this. The hard part is actually living day after day after day for Jesus. That's the hard part. You know, it's not easy. It's very difficult. In fact, you and I, we can't do it in our own strength. The only way we have any shot at all at doing it would be through Jesus and that through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I've often wondered myself, who is going to be the heroes in heaven? I've often thought about that myself. I imagine that in heaven, the heroes up there are going to be people that we've never heard of here in this life on this earth. It might be some old lady, for example, who did the only thing she could do, and that was to pray. I remember reading about the history of the evangelist Billy Graham. Billy Graham, during my lifetime, has been one of my favorite evangelists, and when he died a couple of years ago, it was very sad for me, and yet I was very happy for Billy Graham because I knew that now he wouldn't be sick anymore. Now he has that glorious home up in heaven. But I remember reading about a tent revival uh, Billy Graham was holding in Los Angeles, California back in 1949. Now back in those days, uh, Billy Graham was almost undistinguishable from many other evangelists in this country that in this country at that time. And that is, he traveled all over the country pulling a trailer which pulled a tent, and he set up tents across America, and he preached the gospel. And I guess when he arrived in Los Angeles in 1949, in many ways, he probably didn't think that crusade was going to be any different from any of the other crusades that he had held. Now, apparently, there was an old lady. She was sick and old, and... She was pretty much confined to a bed. And she heard that this tent revival preacher, uh, Billy Graham, was coming to Los Angeles. Now, unlike some people in Los Angeles, she apparently had heard some of the great things that Billy Graham had done in other parts of the country. And she said, you know what, I want to go hear this man. But she couldn't because of her health and because of her age, she was confined to bed. She wanted to give money to his ministry, but she didn't have a lot of money to give. And frankly, there wasn't a lot physically she could do for the ministry there in Los Angeles. But then she realized there was certainly one thing she could do. And that one thing was she could pray. And pray she did. She prayed day and night for Billy Graham and for the success of of his crusade there in Los Angeles. And it turns out that his crusade in Los Angeles got the attention 
of a man named William Randolph Hearst. Now, William Randolph Hearst was a famous news publisher back in those days. You might say he was the founder of the Hearst Corporation, which to this day owns newspapers and radio stations and television stations across America. In fact, uh, the NBC television station here in Greenville, South Carolina, is actually owned by the Hearst Corporation. William Randolph Hearst heard about Billy Graham and was apparently so intrigued by Billy Graham, he told his news organization to puff Graham. And basically what that meant in journalistic jargon was that they were to give a lot of attention and focus to the ministry of Billy Graham that week there in Los Angeles. And as a result of that, Billy Graham began to be known all across the United States and throughout the world. I've got a book in my own personal library that was given to me by a friend, and it's called Billy Graham, A Preacher to the Presidents. And one of the interesting things about the life and ministry of Billy Graham is that he personally ministered to most of the presidents in his lifetime. Now, there were some presidents he, he spent a lot more time with than others. Uh, I am told that Richard Nixon probably is one of the preachers that, or I should say one of the presidents that he spent more of his time with. And he almost spent too much time with Nixon because Billy Graham was shocked to see some of the things that Nixon was actually guilty of, and that association almost hurt his ministry. And probably the president that Billy Graham spent the least amount of time with was Jimmy Carter, which was kind of interesting because, like Jimmy Carter, uh, Billy Graham was a Southern Baptist. And yet, for some reason, um, it wasn't possible for Billy Graham to spend as much time with with Jimmy Carter as with other presidents. I'm not sure what the reason for that was, but I'm sure there was a reason behind it. Uh, but he was a minister to virtually all the presidents in his lifetime. And um, he even met President Barack Obama before he died. And so therefore, uh, and yeah, he met Donald Trump as well, come to think of it. <laughs> And so through Donald Trump, he has met all of the current presidents. I, I don't know if he met Biden or not. Now, Biden, of course, would have been no higher up than vice president back in those days, but he might very well have seen Biden as well. He was called a minister to the presidents. He was very well known for that, and it was a good thing. Um, and then I think, too, about all the people that have been led to Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham. It's very exciting uh, to read about Billy Graham. Down through the years, I have read as many books as I could find on the early ministry of Billy Graham and how he got started. And, and you know, it was interesting because he was really, uh, in many ways, as a young teenager, he was pretty shy. He was not an outgoing person. And God took a person like that and used him to literally shape America for the gospel. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then, well, let's read on. 
But he says, being on his right or left hand, that's for those who's, for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to greatly be displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said unto them, You know that those who were considered uh, rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you desire to be, and who, whoever of you desires to be first, shall become the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now I might add, of course, that verse 45 is a prophetic verse, making reference, of course, to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And um, so we find here that Jesus is telling his disciples that you have to be willing to be a servant in order to have a shot at being first. You know, I think we have the wrong idea about being a preacher in America today. Many preachers today see themselves as television stars, radio stars, and celebrities. Some of them live in very fancy mansions. Now, I can tell you, I don't live in a fancy mansion. I live in a very uh, cheap apartment. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you exactly what my rent is, but I will tell you this. I pay less than $500 a month for rent for this apartment. And I'll be honest with you, it's not the greatest apartment in the world, but it meets my needs. It's certainly worth what I'm paying for it. And I've lived here for almost four years now. I have no I, no desire to establish for myself an earthly mansion. Because my Bible tells me that I have a mansion waiting for me in heaven. Amen. And I can hardly wait for that day to come when I get to move into my heavenly mansion. But in the meantime, I want to be used of the Lord to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach God's word to God's children. Amen. Praise the Lord, I tell you. So Jesus is telling his disciples that to be first, you got to be willing to be a servant. You have to have a servant's heart. That's what being a minister of the gospel is all about. Being a minister of the gospel, especially the way it was back in the old days, you got to be on call at 3 o'clock in the morning. At 3 o'clock in the morning, one of the families in your church might get the unpleasant news that their loved one has passed away, and guess what? They're going to call the pastor. This is all part of the price you have to be willing to pay when you sign up to be a pastor. Many pastors will tell you that because of what they do for the Lord and because of what they do for the church, a true day off is a rare thing. Now, I do think it's wise, by the way, for pastors to make time 
And I mean by that quality time available for their family. But this job of being a pastor is not a pushover job. It's a job with heavy, weighty responsibility. It's a job where the work schedule is demanding. And it is not a job for lazy people. If you're lazy, you're not going to make it in the ministry. Let me tell you that. I know we have a lot of young ministerial students listening to Sunshine USA, and I'll be the first to tell you. If you're lazy, the ministry is not a place for you. You have to be willing to work hard. Sometimes the hours are long. Sometimes the tasks are demanding. But in the end, it's so well worth it. When you get to heaven, I believe you're going to be able to see all the people that are up in heaven because of your efforts. That's where your reward comes in. And that's when you're going to realize that all the sacrifices you made to serve the Lord as a pastor are so well worth it. Okay, let's read on. It says, Now when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho, his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat on the road begging. Now notice here Mark refers to him simply as blind Bartimaeus. Now this indicates to me this was a man who was well known, a man where it was well known he was blind, probably blind from birth, and he was in his usual spot, begging on, on the side of the road. Now back in those days, you have to understand, they didn't have government spending programs to help the poor. <laughs> uh, if you were poor, you supported yourself any way you could. And usually, in the case of this blind man, it was standing on the side of the road or sitting in the side of the road, asking people that came by to give you a donation. Amen. It says, and when he heard that um, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So apparently he heard Jesus coming even before many of the people saw him. You know, they say one of the things about a blind person is their other senses seemingly are amplified. And this blind man could hear Jesus coming a long way off. Maybe he could hear Jesus teaching in the background. And so he just knew it was Jesus. And he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Well, let's see what happens. And then many warned him to be quiet, but then he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So apparently many of the local townspeople that were nearby, they were trying to tell this blind man, hey, you got to be quiet. We have a dignified guest in our town and you don't want to be making all that noise. He don't want to hear you. And then in verse 48, it says, then, uh, well, let's see, verse 49. So Jesus came and stood and commanded him to be called. 
And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, arise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garments, he arose and came to Jesus. And when Jesus answered and said unto him, What do you want me to do for you? And then the blind man said to him, Rabbi, or Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said unto him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus down the road, on down the road. Now, I want you to notice something very important here. He asked Jesus that his eyes be made to see again. And notice that Jesus had no problem granting his request. He points out, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. Now, you know, Jesus taught many times that in many ways a man is a product of his own way of thinking. Many times you will find that your situation will get better if you think you're going to get better. That's sometimes called the power of a placebo. A lot of times when they're testing out a new drug or a new vaccine, they use the real deal on some and they use placebos on others. And it's not a surprise that those who receive the real drug, they get better. But some of the people that get the placebo, guess what? They get better too. Why? Because they actually think that they're going to get better because they think they have received the real medication. And so even though they haven't, you might say their faith made them better. But we don't want to take anything here away from Jesus. Jesus healed this man. And what does this man do? He decides to follow Jesus on down the road. He becomes a follower of Jesus, which is probably the ultimate gratitude that he could have shown Jesus for what Jesus had done for him. And I imagine this man was very helpful in the people that Jesus would talk to further down the road, because I'm sure that on more than one occasion, Jesus had this man share with the people what had happened to him. And he says, hey, I was blind. And I'm sure there was other people following Jesus that had known this man all their life, and they could verify, yes, this man has been blind since birth, and yet now he can miraculously see. You see, that's the kind of thing you can't dispute. Nobody could dispute that he was blind all these years, but nobody could dispute the fact that he could obviously see now. Amen? And so Jesus was in the business of healing people. Now, this is where a lot of people get surprised. Now, I have been born and raised a Southern Baptist, and I still consider myself a loyal Southern Baptist. But now, I don't mind telling you for one minute I firmly believe, I wholeheartedly believe, that Jesus still heals people today. You know? And I think one of the keys that determine whether or not you're going to be healed is whether or not you believe you're going to be healed. I was listening to this preacher preach the other day, 
this particular preacher is practically blind himself. Uh, they say he is legally blind. And he got mad at a group of people in his church because they suggested that Jesus might be able to heal him. And he said, no, 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 no. Jesus will never heal my blindness. Well, I, I got news for that preacher. He probably never will be healed. It's possible, it's conceivable, he doesn't even want to be healed. Maybe he's getting more attention blind than he would if he had regular sight. I don't know. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from that preacher. I mean, I love listening to him preach. But I don't think he believes that miracles are for today. I do believe miracles are today. One reason I believe that is because I myself have experienced so many different healings in my lifetime. There is no doubt about the fact that Jesus today is still in the healing business. He's doing it just as much today as he ever did. And I thank God for that. And so if you're a Christian and here you are in need of healing, let me assure you, it's not wrong for you to pray for healing. It's not wrong for you to get people in your church to join you in prayer that you will be healed. And there's a good possibility Jesus will heal you now. But even if not now, I believe that by the time you get to heaven, you will be healed. So when someone looks at me and they say, Warren, I need healing, I said, I could say, God will definitely heal you now, or he will heal you by the time you get to heaven. Because I tell you, in heaven, there's not going to be any blind people. In heaven, there's not going to be any lame people. In, in heaven, there's not going to be any deaf people. I mean, I, I have a lot of compassion, uh, for example, for people who are deaf, because I don't hear so well these days myself. I have a hearing problem that seems to be getting worse. But I also don't mind you praying that God will heal my hearing and that my hearing will be made normal again. I believe that Jesus can and probably will heal my hearing if it be his will. If not, then like Paul said, my grace is sufficient for thee, you know? Amen. But like I say, I've seen God do too many miracles to deny that he does miracles. Think about the preacher named David Ring. I love to listen to David Ring preach. Now, those of you that know anything at all about David Ring, you know that he suffers from cerebral palsy. And um, he has a very distinctive style of preaching that is clearly affected by his cerebral palsy. But God is using David Ring in a mighty way in spite of his cerebral palsy in order to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. David Ring tells the story about how when he was growing up, people said, man, you're never going to be able to do anything. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have children. You could forget about a career in radio or television. And he points out, yet all of that has come to pass in his lifetime. He's married. He's got perfectly healthy children. 
He preaches the gospel every day on radio and TV across America, throughout the world. He's doing almost everything that he was told he couldn't do. And yet God has used him mightily in spite of his handicap. I, I often use the illustration of Johnny Erickson Tata. Look at the great ministry that Johnny Erickson Tata has, in spite of the fact that she herself is a paraplegic. She is paralyzed, I believe, from the neck down. But she hasn't let that stop her. Look at all the people she's been able to lead to the Lord all throughout her ministry. And I dare say if she hadn't had that swimming accident back in her teenage years, the ministry she has now maybe never would have happened. So just because you're handicapped doesn't mean that God can't use you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look at Paul in the New Testament. Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. And three times the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee. Now what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Everybody has different ideas. Nobody knows for sure. I personally believe that Paul probably had very bad eyesight. We see from his writings lots of examples of the fact that Saul's eyes, Paul's eyes, were not very good. And yet God was able to use him in a mighty way to write much of our New Testament. And so don't be discouraged if you're not in the best of health and you have a lot of handicaps. Number one, I believe God is in the healing business. And number two, in spite of any ailments you have, God could still use you and he can use you in such a mighty and powerful way. Now that will bring us, by the way, to the end of Mark chapter number 10. Now bearing in mind, I believe I am correct in saying there's only 16 chapters in Mark, so we're clearly over the halfway point. We've got a lot more to read about, though. And so next time, if you haven't done so already, I need you to go ahead and read Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. And if you really want to get a good head start, go ahead and read Mark chapter 12 as well. Now, by the way, if you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, I've got two different email addresses where you can contact me and share these with me. Uh, one is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. WarrenLandis at yahoo.com and WarrenLandis at gmail.com. All lowercase, all one word. And I'll be sure to get it. Now, if you want to send me a snail mail, that is, if you want to send me an old-fashioned letter, my snail mail address is WarrenLandis, 3001, Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, Zip code 29609. That's Warren Landis, 3001. Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8. Greenville, South Carolina. 29609. Now before you close that envelope, you might want to pray about whether the Lord would have you enclose 
a financial contribution to help this ministry grow and expand. And, I've, and as I've pointed out before, I do not receive a salary for doing this program. I don't expect to ever receive a salary for doing this program. I do it as a labor of love and because of my desire, number one, to reach all people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and number two, to help God's people learn as much as possible about the Bible, God's holy word. By the way, I believe the Bible is the holy, inspired word of God. I believe that God himself is ultimately the author of the Bible. And the fact that the Bible has survived all of these years is miraculous in and of itself. God has miraculously preserved the Bible up through our own generation. Amen. Well, uh, I've enjoyed being with you this evening. And I want you to continue praying for me that God will continue sending healing throughout my body. And I'll be doing the same for you. And until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.